Okay, so we begin a series on our soul. It's not a topic that gets talked about a lot, but we're going we're gonna to dive in and we're going to talk about it actually for several weeks. And hopefully today we can kind of set um, uh, the, the reason why we're going to be doing this. Because it really, really, really is important. And I think, I hope uh, it starts to make sense um, soon, okay? Now, in a classified ad in the uh, Stanford newspaper a few months ago, there was this headline, Genius Egg Donor Wanted. Not smart, but genius egg donor wanted. Um, This is how the ad read. Great compensation. We are a couple seeking a high-achieving egg donor to help build our family. As an example of our ideal egg donor, it should be a 21-year-old Stanford University student with an A grade point average and near-perfect SAT scores. There's a little wiggle room on the SAT. Doesn't have to be perfect, only near-perfect. Having won several awards in high school and university. The parents go on to say this. We hope our child will be a top student, as each of us was, and able to attend Stanford or another top university. Now, how would you feel being that kid? I mean, you're born and the expectation level is so high that any time... Like, can you imagine being that kid bringing home a B? I mean, so now all of a sudden, learning, which is supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be enjoyable and bring you joy in life, becomes stressful and competitive. And we, we live in a world where it's hyper-competitive and, and, and we, we see things like this. It's super interesting to me. Um, we have this strange vulnerability in our spirits. Uh, I'll give you an example. You, you do a... a, a yearly job assessment at your work and your boss he points out 19 areas where you excel you are amazing and there's one area that he sort of says hey you you might could work on this this is something you you know you're not bad at it but it's something where you could grow 19 things you are off the charts great this one thing you could you could tweak it a bit what's the thing you think about all week after you have that review. You, you think about the one thing. I had a secretary once. We did this review. I gave her high marks on everything but one thing. And she came in my office in tears. Because I hadn't given her highest, the highest marks on this one particular thing. It, it's just this vulnerability that we have. That we want more out of ourselves I think. L- look at this verse. Genesis 2.7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living, what's the word? Soul. The man became a living soul. Now, here's the big idea. You are a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God. We're going to talk about this today. We're going to kind of unpack it. There are a couple of implications here. Number one is you're created in God's image, which is amazing to me. We we are we have the like the light of God within us. We we are created in His image, and number two, that means we're not created to be self sufficient. In fact, the Bible writers talk about this this neediness, this soul neediness. Often, look at this verse: All the labor of a man is for his mouth, yet his soul is not 
fulfilled. It's kind of a quirky little verse. Basically, it says, look, you can work for food, but there's more. You're going to want more out of life. And then look at this one. Psalm 107. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works, for he satisfies the longing, there's our word, soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The truth is the soul is a needy little creature, and the purpose of this need is to drive us toward God. Now, in our day, we don't talk about soul very often. In fact, start looking for it this week. You'll see it occasionally, but it's not a word we use. It's sort of become old-fashioned a bit. It's not a word we, we talk about a lot. But the point of this whole series is that our soul is the deepest thing about us. It is bigger than just ourself. It is, it is the most important thing. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We have this neediness. So, let's talk about why we're going to study the soul. Uh, there are about four or five reasons. I think that's on your outline. You might want to pull those out. That's part of your program. Number one, it's my job. Uh, this is sort of my favorite verse and my most hated verse all at one time. I like the first part. I don't like the second part. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Love that part. That's a great part. Uh, so really, uh, your job is to submit to me. That's awesome. Now, this part I don't like. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Basically, when you mess up, I'm accountable. So we're going to make an agreement today. Stop sinning. Okay, that really is going to help me a bunch. Because it says, let them do this with joy. not with. I'm not going to have a lot of joy if you're out there sinning. So stop it, and we're going to be okay. Now, the, the word that used to be used for pastor, an old-timey word, it was a curate. A curate, somebody that sort of manages, sort of monitors and cures, helps cure the soul. That, that's, that's a task that every pastor everywhere, it's a, it's a task we all take on to, to be a curate for your soul. And, and I'm accountable someday for your soul and and. It, it's a tough thing, and, and i got to tell you, being a pastor isn't always easy. I had a lady one time, and she came up after the service, and she was very apologetic. She said, I, I hope it didn't distract you when my husband walked out while you were preaching. And I said, look, I, it, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It, it kind of threw me off a little bit, and she said, it's not about you. He's been walking in his sleep since he was a little boy. It's not your thing. Yeah, it, it's not that easy working with you. I, I just want you to know that. Now, uh, it's the pastor's job, but ultimately, honestly, it's community's job. Uh, we as a, a biblical community, a, a followers of Jesus, it is our job to sort of watch each other's soul. That's why groups are so important. There's accountability in groups. If you're sort of flying solo, who's going to hold you account to account for what you do and what you, what, what you say? In groups, we have opportunity to develop relationships so that you can speak truth into one another's life. Uh, in community, our job ultimately is to watch each other's soul. It, it is a, a delicate little thing. And, and, and so we're talking about the soul the next few weeks. It's my job, one, for one, but, but it's more than that. Number two, my life is under the direction of my soul. My, my soul sort of guides me 
where I'm going to go. Dallas Willard, an, an incredible uh, Christian thinker, he, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he wrote this. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. Your soul is the life center of human beings. Now, we know a lot about the human body, but a lot of times we sort of forget there are elements of the soul. So let's kind of, we're going to go through it just a little bit. A little, little bit of a lesson here. Oop, I went one too far. Parts of your soul. You have a will. It's the power of a person to choose. Our will is, I can say yes to things, I can say no to things. That, that is the will. Sometimes in scripture it's called the heart. Uh, the will is, it's, it's very important. It's kind of a precious thing and and. It's also a little limited in power. You've heard of willpower. You've heard of this, right? And, and we would hope that our will would direct us in all of our actions. The way we talk, uh, our diet, our anger, uh, how we treat sex, what we say. We're hoping that our will directs us. But we have expressions around this. Uh, we, we talk about this. Um, the road to hell is paved with what? You know, with good intentions, right? We have a desire to do stuff. We intend to do things. We just don't always do them. So the will is this, this notion that I'm going to, I, have, I can say yes to things and I can say no to things. Now we've just come out of a series in Romans. In Romans 7, Paul talks about this whole deal. I want to do certain, th- certain things, but I don't do them. The things I don't want to do, I still do. He's saying I've got a will I just don't always do what my will wills. Got it? Then you have a mind. These are your thoughts and your feelings. And we hope this controls what we do, that that things are logical. But have you ever done anything that's illogical? Well, sure you have. I mean, we all do things that we sort of know don't make sense. We know better. How many of us have known better and yet did something we knew better than to do? I mean, we, we all have fallen into this. So we've got a, a will, we've got a mind, and we've got a body. And our body is this little kingdom where our will is done. We get to choose, for the most part, what happens with our will, with our bodies. Without our bodies, you couldn't exercise your will or your mind because you wouldn't have an avenue to do so. And unfortunately... Sometimes, what we would want is for our will and our mind to control what our body does. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes my body controls my will and my mind. It's called addiction. Uh, I, I know to go to bed. I know I'm supposed to get my rest, but I'm playing a video game or I'm watching a movie. or I, I know better. I know it's not good for me, but I do it anyway. Meddling can be uh, an addiction. Uh, uh, Substance abuse can be an addiction. I heard, speaking of meddling, I heard about this one girl. She'd just gotten married, and she had a fight with her new husband. And uh, girls evidently call their mothers when um, they have fights with their husbands. I don't know. Um, I, I, uh, we, we never fight, so I don't know. Uh, but uh, um, so she called her mom and said, you know, he, he, he really misbehaved. I, can I come home? I just want to come home for a little while. And, and the, mother, <laughs> the mother-in-law of the new husband said, oh no, he needs to pay for this. I'll come stay with you for a while. Uh, so, meddling. It's like this engaged couple. This girl comes home, she's crying. 
she, she goes into her, her mom's room and she says, oh, mom, I can't believe this. Uh, Johnny doesn't believe in hell. How am I going to marry a guy that doesn't believe in hell? And the mother-in-law says, you marry him. We'll show him there's a hell. Uh, so uh, med- meddling, meddling can be... meddling can be an addiction but the whole point is um, we don't always do what our will wants we don't always do what our mind wants sometimes our body dictates but ultimately the soul is the integration of all these things your will your good intentions your mind and your body into a single life that is what the soul is and a living being has a variety of functions i mean we we can uh, reproduce and grow and perceive and move. And every language has this language around a soul. I am one. I have one. It's who I am. It's the integration of all that I am. And it's interesting, the soul, the soul being the deepest part of you, um, we don't see the word very often today. Now, sometimes you'll, you'll see this. Like if a, a plane goes down, they'll say... There were 178 souls on board or something like that. Every once in a while you'll see the word. But it's, it's not as common as it used to be. Now, the third reason to talk about our souls is three is this. The neglected soul doesn't go away. It just goes astray. It, it just kind of gets off the rails a bit. point of diagnosing our souls is that we, your soul just isn't going to get lost. It's just going to go in a, in a bad direction if you're not careful. It, it doesn't go away. It, it goes astray. And when, when you look at Scripture, the Scriptures tell us that, you know, um, Jesus said, what, is it, what does it uh, matter if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? It doesn't take us long to see people that have gained the whole world, it seems, and yet they forfeited their soul. Look, look at people like Lindsay Lohan or Justin Bieber or whoever. You pick the star who's kind of gone off the rails. You would think they have it all, and, and yet they sort of lose perspective. We've replaced the word soul with the word self. Uh, because the soul, the word soul reminds us that we're made for our... Not for ourselves, but for God. And so we've sort of, we've substituted one for the other. They're not synonymous, by the way, but we've substituted them. In the Journal for the American Medical Association, the AMA, uh, they did a study on this. And during the 1900s, from 1900 to 2000 and then into this uh, particular century, every generation, there's been about four, every generation is three times more likely to be diagnosed uh, with depression than the previous one. So it's, it's multiplying by three every generation. What's super interesting about that is we have much more uh, psychological uh, benefit of, of knowledge and, and we have more psychologists and more psychiatrists and we have much more uh, information about that. And there's a guy by the name of Martin Sullivan. He's a brilliant psychologist, not a Christian, but he writes about this. And he, he's, this is what he said. He theorizes that it's because we have replaced church and faith and community with this tiny little unit called self. And self just can't maintain the weight of the world 
and we sort of crumble and we get depressed. He calls it the California self, this narcissistic sort of self-esteem worshiping self. You see it in language all the time. Let me give you a few. If you're empty, you need self-fulfillment. If you're stressed, you need to take care of yourself. If you're on a job interview or watching a Barbie movie, you need to believe in yourself. If you go to a tattoo parlor, you're expressing yourself. If someone dares to criticize you, you have to love yourself. If you're not getting your own way, you have to stand up for yourself. If you're on a date, you ought to be yourself. What if yourself is a train wreck? There's a reason we post pictures from 10 years ago when we're going online on a dating service. It's because we like that self better. We, we often aren't ourselves, And the word soul reminds us that we're made not for ourselves, but for God. And so we're going to kind of reclaim the word self. Because, I mean soul. Because the word the word reminds us, soul reminds us that we're not just made for ourselves, we're made for, for God. There, there's a great song at Christmas we sing, Oh Holy Night. Remember that song? You know that song. Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears. And then what happens? The soul felt its worth. It's a beautiful line in that song. That it's, it's not the, the self felt its worth or the soul felt its guilt. It's the soul felt its worth. And only Jesus can help us feel our worth. It's a practical word around this. There are times when we just need to get alone with God so that our soul can feel its worth. For me, and I don't know what it takes for you to kind of get alone and, and to feel your worth before God. I love it when I'm walking, uh, if I take a hike in the mountains. For me, getting into nature helps me be reminded that my soul is valuable to God, that I have worth before Him, that the world is bigger than just me. Miriam and I were, were, were looking at, uh, the, the, this place is beautiful. We were watching something uh a uh, house flipping show because that's what we do. And uh, it was in Vegas or something, and they showed the terrain. And it reminded me, in New Mexico, <laughs> where we lived, there weren't a lot of trees. But there were a lot of mountains. And you could climb these mountains. And, and, and I just remember being out. <laughs> it, you could just get out so far, and you would never see anybody or anything. And, and it, was, it was like it was you and God. And you feel small and important at the same time. You know, does that make sense? I feel like the world is so big, and yet God, at that moment, knew I was right there. Nobody else knew, but God knew I was right there. And if I fell and died, he would be the only one that knew, because uh, I was out there all by myself, which is really not that smart. But it, for, for me, that's when my soul feels its worth. In Psalm 42, it says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you. And some people have lost the notion of the value they have in God. Rick Warren, who was a great pastor in California, wrote uh, Purpose Driven Life. and uh, Many of you have heard of him. He had the opportunity to speak at a prison once. And at this prison, he 
was on the ground, so he wasn't even on a stage. 5,000 guys were there, but he said the only about the, the first 100 guys right around him w- was really listening. He w- was on a microphone, but really the, these guys weren't paying attention. And so to get their attention, he takes out a $50 bill, and he holds it up, and he said, who would want this $50 bill? Well, now that got everybody's attention. They are all were listening, so all 5,000 hands go up. And he takes it, and he crumples it, and he puts it on the ground, and he kind of stomps on it, and he lifts it up, and he says, now, who wants this $50 bill? Every hand goes up. and So he takes it, and he spits on it, and he tears a little bit, and more grinding in the dirt, and he holds it up one more time, and he says, what about this, the $50 bill now? 5,000 hands go up. And, and he said to them, listen, this is what some of your fathers have done to you. This is what life has done to you. And you don't feel like you're worth anything. But to God, you've not lost one cent of worth, no matter what's happened in your life, no matter what's gone on in your life. It's important for us to remember, to, to be reminded, that our soul is worth, has worth to God. It is incredibly worth, it's worth incredible, uh, an incredible amount to God. Incredibly worthy. Fourth, unhealthy souls grow rushed and weary and shallow. And if you're rushed and weary and shallow, it might be because you have an unhealthy soul. Look at Psalm 23. I mean, these are words that are just... They've comforted people for for millennia. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You never see the word soul and hurry in a verse together. There's not a verse that says, get the lead out, oh my soul. Pick up the pace, oh my soul. You will not find in Scripture. Another just sort of practical word around this. Are you, are you getting enough sleep? I know you like sleep. Some of you are doing it right now. Uh, sleep is so important because basically when I go to sleep, the world still functions. God doesn't need me to help him function. It, it's okay for me to release all that to God. There's two ways you can live. You can live carrying the weight of the world yourself or you can allow God to handle it. The first way, do you remember that like there was this um, mythology around Atlas and, and, and uh, Atlas carried the weight of the world? Have you ever seen someone that looked as if they were carrying the weight of the world? I mean, you might go into work and your boss looks like that. Or you might look in the mirror and you look like that. Like it all depends on you. And it doesn't really all depend on you. As a preacher, my, my goal is to make sense, to maybe keep you awake, to provoke thoughts, maybe to create a challenge, to help you get from point A to point B, to to allow the Holy Spirit to use these words in your heart. And, And preaching is an interesting thing because there are times when I feel like I have done great uh, like, I hit the ball out of the park. This, this was amazing. They're rare, but they do happen. So I'm, I'm preaching along. I'm having a great day. I just think this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, you know, uh, everybody in the room that day 
uh, was fortunate to hear me. Uh, you know, sometimes you have that kind of thought, like, gosh, it was just so good. And then there are days where it feels like I didn't put two thoughts together that made any sense. I mean, there are some Sundays where you get through speaking and it's just like, ah, oh, this, um, I've wasted everybody's time here because it just was horrible. And, and, and I feel that in my spirit. The problem with, with preaching is the time when you think it just was, it, it was horrible, those are the weeks that people come up and they'll say, it was like you're speaking just to me. Um, that just touched my spirit. And I want to say, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. You couldn't have gotten something out of that because it was horrible. I know that it was horrible. You're just trying to make me feel good, and I appreciate it. You're sweet. And, and then I started to connect the dots. Here's the deal. My job is to prepare the best I can, to deliver it the best I can. Sometimes it feels better than others. The Holy Spirit's job is to take what's said and to do great things with it. I mean, I, I read the book of Acts. Peter preaches a sermon. He basically says to everyone in the audience, you all stink. You all caused Jesus to be crucified. You're, you're horrible people. Um, shame on you. Yet Jesus loves you anyway. And then thousands of people come to Christ. And I'm thinking, that's the worst sermon ever. That has to be the worst sermon ever. And yet the Holy Spirit used it to do great things. Here's the deal. At your work, sometimes I know you, you make a presentation or you, you do work and you're thinking, I can't do well. It's okay. Maybe you're in school and you prepared but you didn't take the test well or you had a paper to write but it didn't seem to flow as easily as you wanted it to. I understand that. Our ambition isn't particularly to knock it out of the park every time. Our our understanding needs to be we do our best and then we let God take it over, do what he wants with it. So when I preach now, it's sort of, I, I'm going to do my best, I'm going to try to help to let it make sense. I want it to flow well. But the Holy Spirit does what, with it what he wants. And it amazes, it, it is humbling to me that the bumbling sermons are the ones that God seems to use most. Really, I'm bumbling today because it's better for you. Uh, I want you to know that. So I'm doing it for you. You're welcome. All right, number five. My soul can be all right when everything in my world is wrong. All wrong. This is good news. I, I mean, the, the world could fall apart around you. Oh, great verse. Look at this. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The rewards for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Peter was talking about Jesus. But he's not talking simply about what happens to you when you die. When he talks about um, inexpressible joy, the reward of trusting him, salvation of your soul, he's not just talking about what happens in the afterlife. He's talking about really at a, a deeper level. There's meaning at a deeper level. Because here's the deal. Sooner or later your world's going to fall apart. So, some, the wheels are going to fall off someplace. Everybody's life has the wheels fall off sometime. It, it happens to every person. 
for, for you, it could be the loss of a loved one. It might be the loss of a job. Um, it could be the ending of a relationship. Uh, you might have to move and you didn't want to move. It could be a kid going off the rails. And you've done, you pour your life into those children and you love them and they don't do what you want them to do or you don't, they don't do what you think they ought to do. Every life, every one of us, we all have these moments where, and, and maybe these seasons, where life just sort of comes undone. Um, I heard an old farmer one time, he, he said to me, at the end of every drought there's a rain. <laughs> I thought, well, duh. It, it is profound if you think about it. You don't know when the rain's coming, but at the end of every drought there's a rain. Uh, life is real seasonal. And sometimes I talk to people right over there and they're in a season where life hasn't dealt them a great hand and they're trying to figure out what to do and I do my very best to remind them this is a season, that these seasons come and go. We're in a season here in South Carolina that doesn't seem to want to leave. It's called summer and humidity and really it stinks and so... uh, um, are you praying for fall because you really need to? I, I don't know. And your elders, when I came here, they told me it's not that humid here. They are liars. I, I want you to know that. I love them. I'm growing to love them. But really, they need to repent. Uh, because it's like, oh, it's hardly ever humid. Oh, good grief. Okay, anyway, seasons. We all go through these seasons. And, and the wheels are going to fall off in your life. And, and when everything is going wrong around you, if you have a settled soul... A soul that leans into God, that feels its worth. A a soul that doesn't look to uh, achievement or success or um, possessions to find its worth. Because, you know, if you have possessions and you lose them, what happens to your soul if your soul is, uh, if your self-worth is built on that? And listen, people lose wealth. They lose it every day. And what happens if you're, you're, you built your whole self-esteem on achievement and then sometime you fail? People build their whole lives around achievement and sometimes they fail. Our, our souls are bigger than success and bigger than achievement and bigger than uh, the acquisition of possessions. And that's what this is talking about. This inexpressible joy even in the midst of trial and disappointments. We're going to close today with a, a story. There's a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. And when I was growing up, we used to sing It Is Well With My Soul. It's a song that he wrote. But you need to know the story behind the story. Or as Paul Harvey would say, you need to know the rest of the story. Spafford was a Chicago, a Chicago lawyer in the 1860s. Um, he had wealth, he invested in property, and became even more wealthy. So this guy is, his. if his identity was in stuff, he had lots and lots of stuff. Yet in 1870, Spafford and his wife had a four-year-old son who died of scarlet fever. One year later, in 1871, the Great Chicago Fire happened 
in Chicago, burning many of Horatio Spafford's buildings. Much of his property was lost. He didn't have insurance. So his wealth that was one day enormous, in a matter of hours, burned to the ground. Two years later, 1873, now understand, Spafford is a, is a devout follower of Christ. He, he loses his son, he loses his wealth. He decides that something he wants to do is he wants to hop a ship Traveled to England to watch D.L. Moody speak. D.L. Moody was a great preacher of the time. And he was going to go kind of be a cheerleader, if you will, for Moody. They were friends. So he puts his wife and his four daughters on a ship that sets sail for London. Spafford, some late business uh, came up and he couldn't leave with them. He was going to meet them later. Now, journeying from uh, America to England in the 1870s wasn't that easy. And on the journey from New York to London, there was a a shipwreck. It always amazes me that ships can collide uh, in the middle of the ocean, which is huge. But fog played uh, a part in this, and the ships collided Spafford's four daughters, ages 11, 9, 5, and 2, were all thrown overboard and lost at sea. Somehow his wife was saved. They make it to port in London. This was a, in an era where you would send a telegram, and she sent a telegram to her husband. And it simply read, Saved alone, what should I do? Now you can imagine. You've lost everything. Your, your family, your fortune. Spafford gets on a ship. And he set sail for London to meet his wife. And as he's crossing, the captain of the ship kindly informs him of the general vicinity when they get to it, of the place. That's when he pins the words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say. It is well. It is well. With my soul. The level of um, soul security to be able in that moment in his life 
to write those words. His soul connection to God at that point is something I wish for my life, and I certainly wish it for your life. And if we put ourselves in his shoes, how would we, how would we hold up? Where would we lean? What would we turn to? In just a moment, we're going to take up our offering. We're going to I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. Let me tell you how that's going to go down. Uh, if you're guests, please don't feel like the offering is for you. You can give if you want. Certainly not an expectation that we have. For those of us who call Freedom Home, we take up our offering every week as an act of worship. As we're taking up our offering, uh, Liz and the band are going to come up. In fact, you guys can come up now. And we're going to sing It Is Well With My Soul. And after the service is over, if you need somebody to pray with you or if you want to just chat, I'm going to be right over there. And I'll be happy to, to greet you and, and chat with you and pray for you if you have something that you'd like to pray about. But just be reminded, in the midst of turmoil, when things don't go the way we think they could or should, um, it can still be well with your soul. Father, I thank you for this day and this message, and these words, and this song, which reminds us that peace like a river, even in tumultuous times, that your peace, which transcends understanding, can be a part of our lives. In the deepest, darkest moments, it will be a part of our lives. And we thank you that you care about our souls. That you care about us now, in this moment. And Lord, we pray that we would be attuned to your voice. We ask it all in Jesus' name.